My guest today is Joanna Jensen, the founder of Child's Farm, a brand born out of necessity when her baby daughter suffered from terrible eczema. The risks are huge, and yet you don't feel like yourself. That must have, I mean, and the stakes were huge. The stakes were so high for you, and you're not feeling like yourself. No, well, I, I kind of, you have these, you sort of have these ups and downs. And, and, and I think around then when I, I didn't realize that I was perimenopause and I was just, I thought we'd changed our washing powder or something because I just kept on getting so itchy. What was it like selling 91% of the business? Um, it was, it was actually a real shock. Would you do it differently? Would you be more open? Oh, it's, it's such a fine line as a sort of business principal or CEO. You don't want to tell everyone everything. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. My guest today is Joanna Jensen, the founder of Child's Farm, a brand born out of necessity when her baby daughter suffered from terrible eczema. The shift to brand founder, aged 40, was not an obvious one, with her career in investment banking hardly being the obvious precursor to a move into the beauty industry, but the risk paid off. The brand was launched into mainstream retailer Boots and Waitrose in 2014 and became the number one brand in the baby and child segment, knocking well-known legacy brands off the top spot. That success in 2014, though, nearly didn't happen when a year earlier, an investor pulled out last minute to the tune of £3 million. But as we'll hear, this was just a bump along the way. We're going to unpack a lot during this conversation, not least the impact menopause had on her life and her business, the highs and lows of entrepreneurship, and also how playing your cards close to your chest can leave you feeling alone and unloved. So without any further ado, let's welcome Joanna onto the Emma Gunn Show. Hi, Joanna. How are you? I'm very well, Emma. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So um, we just, I mean, look, we're going to have a, a an in-depth conversation. So let's start as I think we mean to carry on. Just before we started recording, you said that you were training for a flat horse race and that you would soon be able to crack nuts with your <laughs> butt cheeks. Is this, is this something that uh, <laughs> has been a lifetime goal for you? <laughs> Everyone needs a goal. Obviously, mine is, is, is practical for Christmas and things like that totally. you know who needs a nutcracker no. um it you know it's, it's interesting and I think a lot of founders have this challenge mentality and you just want to do you want to have something to aim for 
Mm-hmm. And I felt that I needed a goal. And this, I was told about this horse race and I thought, oh, that sounds quite a lot of fun. And then the more I de- delved into it, everyone kept on saying, you're mad. Anyone that I knew in racing was saying, why on earth are you doing it? You're completely mental. It's, it's totally dangerous. And that kind of spurred me on. And somebody was actually saying to me today, this is the first time I've heard you actually talking about doing something for you and not for your family, for your children. You know, And we were talking about the pecking order. And I said, I'm below the dogs, but thankfully above the cat <laughs> in the pecking order at home. So it is, it is um, look, it's great. I'm in my 50s. I put on a huge amount of weight in the last couple of years of my business. This has been a motivator to shift that, but also to get really, really fit. And, you know, you know, as us women get a wee bit older, um, we're more prone to things like osteoporosis. So uh, training for this is actually all about balance and strength. So that is exactly what we need to be better at as we get older and our bones get a little bit wearier. So it's, yeah, it's a long haul. If I if I make it through the first qualification round and then the second qualification round, it's August next year. But what I realized when you have to do a wall sit amongst many other things, but your wall sit with a five kilo weight is for four minutes. I realized there's quite a lot to go. Oh, that plus a plank for four minutes, plus a press up for three minutes, plus, 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 plus. I mean, I'm just going to be like a soggy mass on the floor. Until you're not, until you're a hard-bodied. Until I have these bunches, <laughs> <laughs> can crack nuts. <laughs> well, I, I I agree with you. I think that I definitely in the last five years have thought right. Uh, I'm not now training or working out for vanity purposes. I am working out for longevity to build muscle. I'm aware that muscle is the organ of of longevity. I'm also aware that the more muscle you have. As you go through menopause, perhaps potentially the better you'll be able to navigate it. So I'm like, right, give me those weights. <laughs> Let's pump some yeah, iron. It, it's totally true. And I think, you know, we, we like to think that if we do our 10,000 steps, that's us done and dusted. But but it is all about, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of Pilates and I do reformer Pilates. And that for me has not only sorted out my back, I've got scoliosis, and I've also got no bottom discs. So my back is a bit of a mess. That That's possibly another reason why you shouldn't ride horses. But moving swiftly on, mm-hmm. you know, my back is a bit of a mess. And actually, the strength that I'm getting now, I can't remember the last time I had physio on my back. Interesting. I need to speak to you offline about this because I have a very weak core. I have, a, now I will qualify that by saying, if you put me on the floor and get me to do crunches, my neck does all the work. Mm. Um, so I find ab work really challenging. <laughs> it's a bit, obviously that has an impact on my back. So I need to yeah. find a way. And if I do reform a Pilates, I am the worst child. I'm the worst student in the class because I just, I can't, there are so many, I'm not strong enough yet to do it. So I need to go back to sort of pre-basics before I can even start something like that. But that's on my wish list. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, Emma, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. That's true. That's Some very things, true. What I've realized, I was complaining. So, oh, I'm not losing any weight. Oh, I'm not doing that. And then I started running. And I realized if you really want to achieve these things, you've actually got to really give it your all. 
especially as you know i'm i'm at the other side of menopause and you know it's sort of like as you're perimenopausal these sort of fat cells come and adhere themselves to your midriff and they say we're moving in and you can't get rid of the buggers and so everything is five times the amount of effort and five times less food yes (laughs) yes gutting it's the adjustments that you have to make. Yes. Anyway, this. Oh God, we we, yeah. well, we, we, we we we'll talk about this for sure. But um, because it comes up, I mentioned it in the introduction that actually menopause had a real. When I asked you what your biggest obstacle was that you had to overcome, you said the menopause, and I think one of the things that happens to so many of us, and you say you're at the other side. I'm sort of entering it. We're way more literate now about perimenopause and menopause, and what to expect than 10 years ago and for you I think what you were describing is the fact that you were changing your personality was different everything was but you had no idea what was necessarily going on so it was a huge obstacle to overcome because you had to identify it and then work with it and work around it and what's so interesting is all that time I was trying to identify it nobody helped me do that it was actually my osteopath that said have you thought about going um, and seeing this amazing uh, woman, Dr. Mandy Leonhardt, who's actually 10 minutes down the road from me, go and see her. Everybody swears by her. And I went to see her and I spent an hour and a half and she explained what the menopause does to your hormones, what that change looks like, you know, just pictorially what it looks like when you first begin to get the curse and then how that works with your body moving on to when you have a baby or when you're pregnant and how, again, that all changes to then when you suddenly get around 40, 50, you know, these huge great spikes in estrogen and being able to actually manage your hormones, it can become out of control for some people. And for me, the game changer was HRT. And it took me seven years to get HRT because prior to that, I was – uh, everyone I went to go and see said I had stress um. and you know I had stress where I was literally holding them up by the neck against the wall saying I don't have goddamn stress there is something else wrong with me <laughs> I I thought I was going mad and you know there's a there's a buzz going around at the moment about these sort of angry mums or whatever and how you know it's really hard and I, I was listening to a radio show today and and a woman was saying listen it's perfectly normal to get frustrated with your family because, you know, if you've got children and you've got parents that you're caring for and you've got a job, there's so many things on your plate and it is perfectly normal to get a little cross. I wasn't getting a little cross. I sort of had this Jacqueline Hyde personality and that was not stress. That mm-hmm. was this almost like this inability to to understand who I was. I kept on having these out-of-body experiences where there was sort of, good wholesome me looking down on evil ditch pig from hell me and I needed to come to terms with this and nobody could help me until I saw Mandy and I literally wept Mm. I literally wept and from that moment forward we integrated menopause health health understanding to the business so every single member of staff had to come along um, Mandy gave this amazing talk about hormones and what it does to people and for you, helping you understand. Because 
we were sort of very female organization at Child's Farm, but also quite a few, of, not as old as me, but a few that were in their 40s. And it was sort of like this outpouring of, oh, my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all the guys were saying, you know, is there any chance my wife can see you? Um, you know, this is explaining so much about how I can manage people going through this process. And so anyone over 40 at Charles Farm um, can have an annual checkup with Mandy um, and they can see how they're doing. But, you know, if, you know, HRT is not for everyone. Some people don't want it. Of course, I was of that generation where we were told that HRT was dreadful and it mm -hmm. gave you breast cancer, which, of course, we, it was totally unfounded. So we would sort of, you know, we were sort of warned off it. And, and then when I, meeting Mandy was just a game changer in my life and my children, I think, will resurrect a statue in her honour in due course. <laughs> I'm, when you talk about the menopause and the, the Jekyll and Hyde, and by the way, I think I might have to get a t-shirt with evil ditch pig. Is that it? Ditch pig from hell. Yeah. <laughs> evil ditch pig <laughs> from hell on it, because there are days when I feel like an evil ditch pig from hell. Um, I uh, wondered that if, when you made this transition from, well, into Child's Farm, starting the business, you were 40. So, yeah. So you take this huge risk because you did describe it as the biggest risk that you've ever taken starting this business. You start this business and then as you're starting it, you are beginning to experience physiological changes that are affecting your mental stability and your emotional stability. And yet you're in, I can even see your body language changing and you can, you are in some of the most tumultuous business uh, landscape that you've been in. The risks are huge and yet you don't feel like yourself. That must have, I mean, and the stakes were huge. The stakes were so yeah. high for you and you're not feeling like yourself. No, well, I, I kind of, you have these, you sort of have these ups and downs. And and, and I think around then when I, I didn't realise that I was perimenopause and I was just, I thought we'd changed our washing powder or something because I just kept on getting so itchy. And then, you know, I was trying to get, I was, uh, I was desperately trying to get, initial investment for child's farm and i remember being in this this presentation thinking oh my god i think i've got flu or something i am boiling hot and and i could feel myself and olivia a friend's daughter who was working with me at the time she was looking at me and she was sort of looking at me in that sort of way that says what the hell's going on and after she said you went the color of a beetroot and then of course quick as you like i was absolutely freezing Mm. and I thought there was something wrong with me, and I just so happened to be on the phone to my mother, and she said, oh, you're perimenopausal. You know, don't worry about it. I was perimenopausal when I was 40. It's fine, you know. And and it was only afterwards that I realised that mum was an absolute nightmare in her 40s, and it all sort of made sense, sense but hindsight's a wonderful thing. But my cup did run a favour because at the same time, of course, I was separating from my husband. I had two small children. I decided that I didn't want to go and pick up my old job working back in the city. I wanted to do something that meant I was around for the girls as much as humanly possible. And for some reason, I thought setting up a new business was the path to least resistance. How completely wrong, naive slash stupid was I? But, you know, when you have two little cost centers like I did, it's a great motivator. Yeah, I can imagine. But also I'm just thinking, was it also seductive, this idea of, 
I will make nice products for bath time. Were you just wanting to attach to bath time and just sort of nice, sweet smelling, bubbly times of the day when children are really sweet rather than going back into the city and dealing with foul language and deadlines and <laughs> the rest of it? Do you know, I think I think in my head, I mean, you know better than anyone else when you're creating a, a beauty product or, you know, you've, you've probably spoken to every single brand owner on the planet. But it is, it's not as easy as it looks and it is so complicated. And actually, I was sitting there one day and I was thinking, why didn't I just get back and work in the city? You know, I, I, I failed my chemistry O-level. And um, there was a question about what fertilizer is formed, and I wrote Fisons because I didn't know the answer. Um, so this this is someone who who didn't you couldn't even pass chemistry. Suddenly working in an industry which is all about chemistry, mm. um, as much as anything else, because you know skin is something in which you apply products, which you need to know exactly how they're made and what they contain. So it was, it, it, there were a couple of moments and I thought I probably, I was wearing stilettos to climb a mountain, um, uh, but I like a challenge. And I had, you know, my youngest daughter, Bella, had terrible eczema and I couldn't use anything on her skin without her being in screaming agony. So you just so had to it, make it, it yourself. It worked. I had to make it myself and... You know, I'm one of those people that if someone says, oh, I bet you can't do that, I turn around and say, I bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> like flat horse racing. Yeah, something like that, yeah. But, I mean, you know, all the time I was at school, if somebody said, you know, go and nick that thing from Sensei's desk, I'd be in like Flynn. You know, I was, I was one of those foolish children that was constantly in the shit. <laughs> oh, were you? See, oh, I God, yeah. I, I wish I'd been naughty. I was just too, I was petrified of authority figures. And so I didn't, but I had a teacher, Mrs. Riddell, uh, God rest her soul, such a wonderful woman who um, I wasn't, I wasn't a very good reader. I didn't, I wasn't ever really motivated to read, but I wanted to read a co the color purple. And I put, pulled it out of the library one day and she just went, it's way too advanced for you, Emma. And that was it. Torch paper was lit. I read that thing in an afternoon. <laughs> You know, but it is like that, isn't it? It's it's sort of, you know, for some people it works. For other people, it's it's about the worst thing you can do and it just makes their confidence collapse. But I was a cocky little bugger. And, and I think that's because, you know, I was brought up in the 70s by a single parent. I mean, it was unheard of. It was unheard of. And if we wanted anything, we had to do it ourselves. You know, if we wanted to go and see a friend, we'd have to bicycle there. I mean, honestly, I could have been an Olympic bicyclist. I seemed to cycle almost everywhere. And and it was, you know, get out and do it. I, on the other hand, had a was told that I had absolutely no respect for authority. So I was on the other end of the spectrum to you. I was the cheeky little thing that was just forever, you know. I, I mean, we when we were at school, if you were very naughty, you had something called gating. And it meant at the weekend, every hour you had to have it signed. And um, I would get it signed and then get in a taxi, go to the little chef, smoke about 400 cigarettes and have a little chef breakfast, get back in a taxi and get there for my next alligating to be signed, thinking that if I sprayed myself with short deodorant and ate half a packet of polos, 
they'd never know I'd had a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, um, genius. Yeah, genius, I mean, really. what can go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? That does make me wonder because a, a friend of mine was talking about this. We were talking about our generation. Now, I had a very protected coddled upbringing so I I didn't really leave the house until I went to university but friends of mine are like they would get home from school and it would be like yeah we'll have to go and play in the field and my mum talks about how they would just all disappear off to the woods we're just going to go off to the woods and play in the big ditch or the or I don't know what was it like like the big sand not big sand pit what do I mean a big old hole in the ground they'd be like oh we can play in that I forget what they're called um but anyway just a big I old hope not pit. a sinkhole that's where they sort of lose cars and things like that no not a sinkhole but just like a very <laughs> dangerous place and parents you just trust the kids not to do anything stupid and now um we I don't think children are treated with I don't have the same sorts of freedom they're not allowed to just yeah yeah go off to the woods my friend's mum used to stand on the back doorstep and blow a whistle when they wanted them to come back into the house. They had no idea where they were. They just assumed that they were within earshot of a very high-pitched whistle. But yeah, things we, are very different we now. Just, we would go in the morning and we would tell we'd have to be back for dinner or if we weren't coming back for dinner, we had to telephone by a certain time um, so we wouldn't have dinner made for us. And we were never given any sandwiches or anything like that. I mean, just... <laughs> Not 100% sure what we used to do for lunch. I think we'd just sort of turn up at a friend's house and, and pray for the best. Um, and that was it. And if we weren't back from by nine o'clock, then the phone calls would start trying to find out where we were. But, I mean, I have to say, in this day and age, I've, I've sort of been quite liberal with my kids as well. Um, and I think if you extend trust early, what you then get is with children, they tell you stuff. Mm. And what I found is with friends of mine who really got rule with an iron fist, their children lie to them because they never tell them the truth. Mm. And I would rather my children were honest. And I, for me, that's been by extending trust to them and letting them do what they will. Um which I guess is pretty unusual, but this is how we have always been a nation of doers and entrepreneurs and challengers and extraordinary individuals. You know, we've climbed mountains. We've found, you know, waterfalls in the middle of jungles. We've gone to the pack ice fields of the North and South. You know, we are a nation of challengers. And I was really inspired by... Um, uh, Richard, God, mental black. You see, this is what happens as well. Uh, senior moment. Um, chap that did Virgin. What's he called? Oh, Brand Richard Branson. Branson. That's yeah. the one, yeah. He wrote a book in about how his mother used to just sort of dump them with their bicycles on the side of the road and say, be back in time for dinner. Mm. And they didn't know where they were. And that to me was heaven. I thought, God, that's brilliant. Um and I think it's important. I think it's important. We need to learn how to fend for ourselves. There was, you know, look at that, that plane crash a couple of months ago in the um, Peruvian jungle. And and these these kids survived. They survived because their mother had taught them what food they could not could not eat in the jungle. Yes, they were sort of from an indigenous tribe. But these life skills and, you know, Western life skills, I suppose, are swimming um, I would say looking after your skin is a life skill. Um, 
but obviously learning to swim, learning to ride a bicycle, um, knowing what to do if someone has a heart attack, all of those key things um, are super, super important. And we should make sure that all of our kids are shown how to do these things. Don't be frightened about scaring them. Um, I remember the kids' school, I had a conversation with them once and I sort of said, well, what are you doing about sustainability? What are you doing about teaching them how to protect their planet for the future? And the answer was, oh, we think that's far too frightening for the children. What? Seriously? No, talk to them about it. If you talk to them, talk to children about things in the right way and give them responsibility and give them ownership of the situation, they'll charge ahead. They'll come up with, you know, wonderful ideas and wonderful solutions but they'll get involved and they will then tell their friends. And as they grow older, they will be fantastic advocates for whatever that may be. But we're, we're terrified of getting our children, you know, taking them out of their enormous, great big bubble wrap jackets. It's interesting. Me, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that because um, a friend of mine was saying that um, she'd read something about somebody was saying that, we put too much pressure on that generation because we are talking to them now or they are learning about global warming and the realities of quite how scary that is and how life might look very different in anything close to 30 to 50 years. And yet we're sort of pitching that really quite terrifying vision of the future to them and then saying, but one of you is going to fix it. And it's putting this incredible pressure on them. But we don't. I was talking, I, I, I went to a fascinating dinner the other night and I sat next to Dr. Yusuf Hamid, I think that's how you pronounce it, who is in his 80s and he was the chap that came up with the vaccine for AIDS. And extraordinary man, I mean, from a pharmaceutical background, absolutely fantastic. And he was saying he'd been to see the top climate change professor at Cambridge and in 50 years time, 55 zero years time, the Earth's soil is going to be five degrees hotter. So then when someone says to you, how do you feel about GM food, GM crops? Well, somehow in 50 years, and this isn't, you know, this is, that's quick, mm. five degree rise in temperature of our soil. If that doesn't whack you between the eyes and make you think we really need to do something about it, Rishi Sunak. Oh, no, didn't work for you, did it? Um, I'm not sure what else does, because this is our children and their children who are going to be living through this. Mm. And and to me, that makes me gulp. Mm. It is really uh, confronting and terrifying. But um, what what but, is the answer? Well, I think the answer is you know, not pushing back things by five years, taking our commitment to net zero incredibly responsibly and working with the likes of China and India to influence them and to help them achieve these goals. There's a great article that Gordon Brown said, you know, if we taxed all the energy companies right now, and look, I know that they've had years in the doldrums and they haven't been able to um, to reward their shareholders, but you know, right now, if we just did a windfall tax on those and we put it into helping those other countries in the world that are struggling, isn't that a huge step forward um, for helping support people through climate change? You know, floods, fires, we've had it all this summer. 
I had a very interesting conversation with, um, I always forget what her particular title is, but it's very, it's like she's a physicist of some sort, but like one of the good ones. And um, she was saying that um, the weather systems are supposed to, if you think about the weather system as being a net that sits over the planet, it sort of aligns with the areas that can handle it. So drought over the Sahara, you know, that kind of climate over the Sahara. She said, what's happening is that it's shifting. So that's why we're getting Mediterranean weather because it's no longer aligned. What the heating up has yeah. done is it's it's no longer aligned. And so weather systems are sitting over the wrong parts of the planet that aren't capable of dealing with them when they occur in the extreme. And that's when I thought, oh, Crivens. Well, do you know, the other thing is, so um, I um, totally by accident, uh, I met the king of Bhutan the other day. Now, Bhutan, <laughs> you have to, so I know. Funny. You know, I was in I was in Waitrose, and you know, it, 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 he. It, so I looked at I, fascinating man, absolutely charming. But I thought, well, where is Bhutan? So I did a sort of huge exercise. We all did as a family to decide where is Bhutan. Let's find out more about it. And you know, we live in a world where we talk about GDP ad infinitum. All we want to talk about is growth financial growth, everything is economics, everything is value, wealth creation, so we can buy more shit. Bhutan, which is a population of 700,000 people, this is a nation, it's near Ladakh and Nepal. Um, it has no infrastructure to speak of in terms of railways or um, airport. They haven't even got an airport. They have to use Ladakh. Full of natural wealth of resources that they do not tap because they have four pillars of governance in that country, which all revolve around ecology, the environment, um, and happiness. And they measure happiness as a form of life fulfillment, so much so they influence the UN to pass a directive saying that um, happiness is a moral right. And what I'm trying to get my head around is how can this one beautiful pocket, this culture of 700,000 people, they didn't get TVs till 1999 um, because they didn't feel they needed them. But then they felt that they should so they can understand what's going on in the world. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like Brigadoon. It, it's this, this, this beautiful culture that is putting joy at the center of everything that they do versus the rest of us, you know, let's think about, you know, Ladakh, I think that the Chinese think that they own that, Nepal, the Chinese think that they own that too, where we're greedy, we're grubby, we're aggressive, we want and we measure everything in terms of pounds, shillings and pence. Or we did until 1969, and then it became pounds and pence. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? This is, you know, this is kind of really messing with my head at the moment because I can't understand how we became such a greedy people. You know, Homo sapien has become just self-satisfying. And we are having to teach our children that they're going to have to sacrifice many things to live and it ties in i don't know if you've read uh, kate rayworth's book which is Danark economics and that is again saying unless you start thinking about a human being's right to air to water 
to power, to to everything, help, aid, benefit. How can you drive an economy based on GDP where all of that growth and all of that wealth will just go to a few individuals? Mm. So I didn't mean to get hugely philosophical on this, but it's this is the food that 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 we should this is the, the thoughts that we should be thinking about in my mind because we're coming to a crunch point um and we need to look at our children and say what are we going to do to help them mm. i i talk about this with my friends endlessly doing the job that i do in that as much as i am helping people hopefully when i talk about uh, well, let's talk specifically about beauty products because it's a really obvious one because it, it, I'm talking about buying stuff and filling your bathroom with stuff. And I also dabble in fashion. And so essentially my role, I'm a conduit to spending money. I I am informed by brands and I pass on the information and the whole, and my value in this industry is totally predicated on how, on my conversion rates. Let's just be very honest yeah. about this. And so we talk endlessly about, well, okay, as much as we're trying to inform people, as much as we're trying to be helpful, we are also a massive part of the problem. And so where do we, how do we reconcile ourselves with that? And so I sort of pose the question to you as a, as a founder of a brand, how do you reconcile your role in the whole consumption machine when you're also putting something out there that people can buy and it's another it's another accumulation Thanks. of stuff flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company united healthcare insurance plans offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more one of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs coming off your parents plan turning a side hustle into a full hustle or even missed open enrollment want more flexibility find out more about united healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. No, I think, well, do you know, because this is, this isn't, I just didn't wake up this morning and start thinking like this. I thought like this for all of my days. And so when I created Child's Farm, all of these questions went through my mind. How can I make it as natural as possible? How can I make it as sustainable as possible? How can I make it say one size fits all? And we managed to do that. We, I mean, we are the market leader in sustainable packaging. I mean, we've been using 100% recycled plastic in our bottles since 2019. But it's not only recycled plastic. It comes from Indonesia and it's shipped over here. So it's the most um, uh, carbon neutral way of getting it back to the UK. But it creates an industry in Indonesia. There's, 
223 million people living in Indonesia, um, which somewhat blows my mind. So four times the amount of people that live in the British Isles. So, and, and large, by and large, these, these people are drinking bottled water, bottled drinks. There is no waste management infrastructure there either. So this is why you find bottles in the ocean. Um, and who we work with, we work, work with Prevented Ocean Plastic. They set up these brilliant socioeconomic initiatives. So whole communities can go and collect plastic bottles and take them to a depot. So they collect them before they get into salt water. Once, once plastic's in salt water, that's it. It's a cleanup job. So they collect all the plastic, take it to a depot, they get paid. This plastic then gets shipped back to the UK, chipped, cleaned and chipped, and then turned into plastic bottles for people like us. So we've been doing that for a very long time, which we're immensely proud of. Um, we know where every single ingredient in our products comes from. And we actively go and work with suppliers who have, again, got a socioeconomic initiative. So our coconut oil comes from an initiative in the Philippines where this was individual farmers selling individual organic coconuts. And they created a community juicer, if you like, to create the oil. So now 50 farmers take their um, coconuts there and they have pressed coconut oil, which they can sell for a vastly improved price than they would for their single coconuts. Our, um, our fragrance, so our orange, which is one of our most popular fragrances, that's a byproduct of the juicing industry. Um, the um, colloidal oat that goes into our really special oatderma range for super, super sensitive skin, that's a byproduct of the food industry. And again, a cooperative in um, Finland. So we don't just go and say, oh, we need a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of the other. We think about absolutely everything that we do. We've been um, a B Corp for just over a year now. That took forever because of COVID. But we are a registered certified B Corporation, which means we have got the highest standards of governance and social and people care within our organization. We are carbon neutral press and have been, I think, since 2018. Um, so we only use logistics companies that deliver and then they've got something to take back, say what's called backhauling. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on and bore you completely senseless. But what we have aimed to do at Child's Farm is to make ourselves best in class in everything that we can do based on the technology and availability that is currently available, whilst always being conscious that we need to be affordable for mums. But, you know, by making all of our products suitable for sensitive and expert prone skin, it means any child can use them. But it also means an adult can use them as well, because mm. by and large, adults with very sensitive skin will shop in the baby aisle. So, you know, it's not perfect. And I can stick my hand up and say it is not perfect. But we are doing the best that we humanly can do in the environment with the technology that's available to us. We're not a PNG. We're not a Unilever. We don't have huge great war chests that we can use on research and development we're expecting them to come up with the next ideas but also you've got other fantastic um companies like reed this is one which is using aluminium containers and this is a very small business um set up by a, a, a wonderful woman who uh, runs the beauty kitchen and this is so anyone so you go and get your cup of coffee from costa in an aluminium cup 
And when you finished it, you put it in an aluminium bin, especially for those cups, because everyone's using them. They get collected once a day, they get taken away, they get washed, and they get put back into the recycling system. We can do so much better than we do. Um, but, you know, I feel at the moment we've done as well as we can do. And I, I have to say, I consciously shop products that have got the right environmental credentials and I will stop buying products that don't because I don't want to add to everything. Well, there's two things there. First of all, how does somebody know how, whether, whether a product has the right uh, environmental credentials? And the second thing is alluding to what you said about cost. Everything that you were saying was making me clench a different part of my body because I was like, well, that's not going to be cheap. That's not going to be cheap. And we've just come off the back of a conversation where we're talking about how all we do is talk in GDP. And let's face it, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if you weren't a great success story who had, who had, um, who who's got incredible profits to to shout about and who's blown other brands off the shelves. So it's sort of it's it's weighing up the two, isn't it? It's like, well, okay that must be very expensive. That means that how do you tally that with profit and and success? And then furthermore, which we can answer in a second about how people can go shopping and have the kind of confidence in the products that you're buying that when, when they make their decisions. Well, I think, I mean, in my, in my particular category, I can see it straight away. You can buy a bottle of Johnson and Johnson's for a pound. We retail at four pounds 50. So, yes, you are paying for the fact that we are not putting, you know, chemicals and virgin plastic and, 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 and as part of our kit. We have really thought about what we're doing and therefore there is a cost implication and it's absolutely right. I'm afraid there is, but you have to balance up what's doing the right thing with being profitable. And I do believe they're not that they're, they're not mutually exclusive you can do the right thing and you can be successful. And I think that's a really, really important point to make because we see it constantly. Look, in the UK now, there are 1,500 certified B Corps. So if you are a consumer and you're looking for something, you're looking for a brand that really does balance, you know, what they do for the environment, what do they do for their social impact, what do they do for their staff, look for that B Corp logo it's a b in a circle hmm. you can get it on very many it's, it's it's mainly small sme um small up and coming businesses you know um i'm thinking you know sort of pip and not i'm thinking um all sorts of all sorts of food brands that i know which have completely gone out of my brain now warner's gin is a classic one you can really <laughs> enjoy a decent glass of gin um and know that it's sustainably created so that's a good indicator is to look for that. The other thing is, is if you're not sure, just investigate. So, you know, Iceland, which, you know, there is some irony about Iceland because everybody immediately thinks it's cheap and therefore they don't care. My God, they are market leaders in using recycled plastic and recyclable plastic in things that they do. They are miles ahead of other retailers. Sainsbury's do their vegetables in cardboard pots. So it's when you go to make a purchase, you know, bags of lettuce, no, absolutely not. You know, none of those bags are recyclable anywhere in the UK. So they're just going straight into landfill. And and actually they're coated with some kind of gas. So they, they last a week. 
I know if I cut a lettuce out of the garden, I've got to eat it that day or by the morning, it's it's limp. Mm. Um, but you think about what's going on your food. Think about how it's packaged. Think about, you know, do you really need all the bells and whistles when you have something delivered? Think about if you are going to use Amazon, why don't you just save up till you've got about 20 things you need to buy? Even better on your way back from the office and you're walking to the bus stop or the tube station, go and buy from a shop because these shops ain't going to be around for much longer if we don't start buying from them. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and what people don't realize is Amazon, for them to make their profits, they're screwing the suppliers. They're screwing these smaller brands to get more money out of them to feed our insatiable hunger for getting stuff tomorrow. It's um, that, it's the immediacy, isn't it? I um, went clothes shopping for, honestly, Joanna, the first time in, I would say, well over a year, like proper clothes shopping. And I realised how uh, accustomed to, how addicted I was to the thrill of searching online on an app with half one eye on the app, one eye on the television, one eye on WhatsApp chatting to my friend Lindsay. Do I need this waistcoat? <laughs> It's like your other one, but maybe. Um, and then eventually you like sort of do a little dance. It's a bit tantric. Then you place the order and then you watch, you track it. And I all of that excitement. And then it's coming and it's arriving and you get a delivery window. And it's a really prolonged experience that's all about dopamine hits. It's just, if you think about yeah. it, it's about uh, sort of, depending on how quickly you get it delivered, it can be 24 hours, sometimes even less, of just little pings of dopamine hits as you get a notification that that thing is on its way. It's around the corner, you're the next delivery. And then as soon as it arrives, you flatline. <laughs> so I went yeah. shopping the other day. And I forgot how wonderful it is to just run your hand through a rack of clothes and just sort of not even take it off the rack, but just sort of pull something a little bit and just go, mm, no, or mm, try that on. And that's so much more pleasurable. But equally, I, I also feel guilty about even buying anything because truthfully, I don't need anything. Because no. I remember what it was like. Um, I was chatting to a friend the other day. I went to a fashion press day. She has a brand. And I was saying, do you remember when I worked on a magazine, although I was very much a, a much bigger cog in the consumption machine, I had one winter coat and that winter co coat went over anything that I wore. Whereas now it's yeah. like, well, I need a trench. Well, I need a khaki. I need a puffer. And now in the last 10 years, this idea of needing to have every possible option is something I've really, really noticed. You simply cannot make do in the way that we used to with one thing. You, you I have, have one to pair have of everything. shoes and a pair of trainers. Yeah, one pair of shoes, a pair of trainers, and a pair of plimsolls mm. and a pair of wellies. And that was it. And one coat, as you say. And, you know, now, I mean, we are, my children are addicted to vintage. And this summer, they went through all my stuff. And they took some to the secondhand clothes shop in Winchester, some to Sign of the Times in Chelsea Green, which honestly is brilliant and the rest has gone on vintage and they are selling my stuff and um and actually every time I go into sign of the times and I just sort of have a look around and I think why am I spending x on something which I may or may not wear whereas I can actually come in here find something quite unique try it on mm. 
and then know that I'm really happy with it. So I've been doing a concerted shedding stuff, um, but not not shedding it to chuck it, shred shedding it. Everything has its place. Some goes to Ukraine. Some goes. We we have a a, a place for everything to go, mm. and then. I'm really enjoying having slightly emptier cupboards because mm. it's a lot easier to find stuff. And you suddenly find something. You think, do you know, I've barely worn those. I'm going to wear that today. And I was having a conversation exactly like this with a girlfriend the other day. And we were both saying we don't actually need anything. We don't need anything. So why do we think that we do? Because we are stimulated at all times from all angles by new, 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 ever so slightly different, ever so slightly different. Can't we pivot that and say what we do need is a stronger back, a stronger <laughs> core? We need to spend that time getting those dopamine hits from buying, from actually making ourselves the best version of ourselves that we can be because yes. we know that if we look after our body and you get a core that's as hard as a washboard you know you're gonna your dopamine hits are gonna be coming fast and furious you're not gonna be able to be, keep up with them and you're never gonna have a down because mm. you'll be going oh my god I want a bit more of that I want a bit more of that and look how cool you put your bikini on and you're sort of saying okay bounce something off this people will be <laughs> throwing six kilo weights at your stomach and they will be pinging off and you will just be standing there like this perfect goddess <laughs> knowing that you've kept osteoporosis at bay that you know you can bend down and pick up anything and not a problem you know maybe we just need to change that mindset and our mindset is self-improvement self-worth giving kindness giving to other people giving time volunteering you know, whatever it is, become, you know, follow this blueprint from Bhutan about happiness. Mm. Make ourselves happy in ways that make others happy or, you know, shed a few pounds or allow us to sort of do a wall bloody thing that I'm doing for four minutes with a five kilo weight. Who thought that that was a thing? Who thought, who made that a thing? I didn't realize till today, actually, and I was doing some jockey rain stuff. And I thought, why are they doing all this upper body thing? Well, I can tell you when I was in a little sweaty pile on the floor, I realized why we were doing the up and <laughs> upper body thing. But that, maybe we just change, we pivot. We pivot the way we look at things. How about that? I think you're right. And I think I've had lots of conversations on this podcast about mental health. And I think one of the things we often fall into the trap of is that we need to add something from the outside in order to become complete. And I think this is true. My friend Lindsay and I call it purse peace. We will never achieve purse peace. We will never, there will never be a handbag. There will never be an item of clothing. There will never be an accessory that gives us the peace that we're looking for within that purchase. We will then have it and then immediately want something else. And actually it's that thing of figure out what you already have and be extremely happy and content with that and, and lead from there. But it's just so tempting in such a capitalist consumerist society. I mean, I am just a tiny little piglet suckling at the teat of consumerism and I hate myself for it. But it's just I know that I don't leave the house ever without thinking, 
just even if I want a dopamine hit, if I've got time between appointments, it's like I'll just pop into Zara, buy a vest top. And I just, it makes me feel really good. But then I think about the implications of how that vest top was made, how much water is required in order to make that vest top, where that vest top will go when I'm done with it, all of those things. And so I, I'm trying to pull back from my little piglet <laughs> sort of shopping ways. <laughs> or buy, I mean, do you know, I, 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 my one thing I would say is when I sold 90, 91% of Child's Farm in March last year, I bought myself a gift. And I bought myself a beautiful ring from Cassandra Goes. I don't want any other rings. I have the ring of rings. Mm-hmm. I have. Can you see that? The one ring to rule them all. <laughs> and, and and so, do you know, that's what you do. You just say, I have the king, queen, goddess, you know, I've got the Britney Spears of rings. <laughs> and, you know, and and I look at that little thing and I think, I don't need any, I don't need another ring. Yeah. Maybe that's the way everyone needs to go and get a ring and just but look at that ring and say, no more rings. But it's what it means to you. It, what it, it's what it represents. It's what it... Yeah. It's, it, there's a deeper meaning there. It wasn't about attaining a thing for things' sake. It represents something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And I know sort of, I know plenty of men who've gone off and bought shotguns or big <laughs> racy cars and things like that when they've sold their businesses. And I wanted something that I could look at every single day and remind me of how hard work and enterprise does actually pay off in the end. And and I think maybe if we all had a ring that we could look at every day and say that that was fully deserved, mm. we might look at things differently. Is that is that too hopeful? I'm obviously people will be pounding down the street, Slane Street, trying to get to Cassandra Gade. Say, I want one of these rings of destiny. Uh, <laughs> um, give me what, a ring. What was it like selling ninety one percent of the business? Um, it was it was actually a real shock. I mean, you know, COVID had been fairly gruesome we did really well but the whole I mean you know working through COVID and it was just it was brutal I think for for probably 99% of the population and you know I got no downtime I think I was working harder than ever and we'd put back our ambition to 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 really we were looking for a big investor to come and help us out and go internationally and then and then we came across PZ Cousins and we all sort of rather fell in love and it was all sort of little bunnies and, and flowers. But what hit me, I mean, A, the sort of four or five months leading up to the actual sale completion was agony. I mean, I lived on a diet of Haribo's or any other things I could find in the drawers of my colleagues in the office because I was there till every, you know, till dawn most nights for those last four or five months. But what hit me the most was, um, you know, I, I sort of come across as sort of quite tough and I sort of try to live up in that, even though I'm a marshmallow inside. And and I sort of say, oh, you know, it was only ever an economic exercise. You know, I needed it for my children. Now it's time for someone else to take it on. And the, the six months after I sold it, well, I, I couldn't cope. I was just so upset. I was so... I felt like I had no purpose. I was, I was, you know, I felt like I was a minister without portfolio and I thought I'd made a massive mistake and that I should have just held on to this 
my third child. Um, and it took me an awful, probably eight months in the end for me to actually sort of say, you've done the right thing. You know, all your shareholders are, are absolutely thrilled to pieces. And, you know, the kids were seeing so much more of me, more of me. I mean, I think they nearly took out a restraining order because I was always there. You know, they'd be playing hockey and I'd suddenly pop up and they'd go, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I come to see you, darlings. Go away. You know, <laughs> so it was sort of the whole relationship had changed. And, um, and it sort of, I think I had 12 years of seriously full-on mania suddenly stopped dead overnight mm. and it was a total shock to the system now of course i am thrilled to partner with pizza cousins they're doing a brilliant job i'm really thrilled with how they're taking the brand in a new direction and growing it internationally and i look on with pride knowing that what they're doing now is nothing to do with me it's to do with people who've you know bought into my values and ethics and have taken the business to the next stage um and it is you know but it was it was brutal and you know people would say to me oh but it's your baby and i'd think oh sod off it's not my baby it's not living or breathing but i think it was my third child mm. um and you know i mean you do when you have a business you start resenting it you don't like it sometimes um you know, I'd have some Monday mornings where I'd literally be sitting there going, oh, I don't want to go in. I'm just so tired. Um, and yet it's children's toiletries. So it's all fluffy bunnies and, you know, bubbles. Um, but it's still a business. Even though you're doing lovely things for little ones, it's still a business. So I've come out the other end now. I'm full of the joys of spring. I've obviously got my new goal and I'm enjoying working and helping other female founders to to get to where they want to be with their businesses to fulfill their ambitions which is a real privilege but an absolute joy i'm glad you mentioned something because i would hate to have got off the phone and not to have have covered this because uh, listeners will be aware guests of the podcast answer a little questionnaire and it gives me some insights and lets me know sort of where we can potentially go and the answer that made me go, right, I have to speak to this woman, was when you talked about, um, what was it that you said specifically? I think it was about weakness. <clears throat> yes, you're so focused on things. Where is the, I can't find the specific answer, but essentially I was like, that's so me. Because you said that you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You were under a lot of pressure, but you kept it to yourself. You didn't tell anybody. So you felt like all of the people around you who cared about you just didn't care about your problems. And actually what you realize now is that you actually hadn't shared. And that <clears throat> is so, so me. And when I read that, I thought, okay, I need to, to learn something from this. Um, would you do it differently? Would you be more open? Oh, it's, it's such a fine line as a sort of business principal or CEO. You don't want to tell everyone everything. Um, also, I had, you know, I had quite a lot of younger kids working for me. They didn't, didn't want to know what was going on in, you know, my health or my kids or my own issues. I think I should have been more honest with my friends. Um who 
because I felt that they didn't understand what I was going through because, of course, they didn't have any crystal balls to know what I was going through. Um, they didn't understand. And therefore, I, you know, time was limited anyhow, but I stepped back from, you know, seeing my mates, really. Um, and I think what I would have done is got someone who I could just dump on because you can't dump on your family to the extent that it makes you feel better. You just want some nameless face that you can talk to and they're your sounding board, but they're also just your sinkhole where you can throw your emotions in. But also I should have learned, I wish I could have learned to have been more open about the real pressures that I was see seeing or facing. I did talk to, I had a brilliant guy, um, Andrew Leek, who is my, um, he was my business partner. <clears throat> he owned about 20, 20 or percent of Child's Farm. And, oh, poor sod, he used to have me sometimes just phoning up. You know, you know, when you're in that kind of tears, can't talk, you're talking bollocks. And I just, it's just, just, just not a thing. And, I'd, you know, and at the same time, you're the grown up in the situation because you're the CEO of your business. You are the mother of two. You know, you are having to make these intelligent, you, you, you're meant to be a rock to everyone around you. And I think I was also brought up that you keep your problems to yourself. Because there's nothing more boring than seeing someone who just then dumps on you all their woes and miseries, you know, really dull. Um, and also, I was taught to have a bit of a stiff upper lip. And, you know, if the going got tough, put your big girl pants on. Yep. And and I am like that. And I still believe that that is it, it's an important principle. I do see, I'm afraid, too much. There's a lack of resilience um, I would say, by and large, within the populace now, and we need to be more resilient to be better people in every single way. But at the same time, it's not—it's—it's it, it's not a heinous crime to stick your hand up and say help. Mm, not at and all. And I so, should have done that more. Was I it think. a fear of seeming vulnerable, or a fear, a fear of? if you show that there are some cracks in the veneer that somebody might someone come in and take it away from you? Do you know, my, my problem is I look at what I've got. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food in the fridge. You know, at all that time, you know, yeah, money was incredibly tight and I had massive debts, but I was still paying the rent on my house. Um, I was still paying for the fuel in my car. All of these things I was doing and I look and it drives my children mad. I look at those people in the world that don't have. And whenever I felt sorry for myself, I would look at those people that had genuinely nothing. And I looked at those people that were doing seven jobs just to put food on the table. And then I would turn around to myself and say, just stop being so pathetic. You have got, and, and you know, let's not forget, we live in a Western culture here, which is indulge and have and all the rest of it. We have sh shitloads of stuff. And, and I, that's how I managed it. I didn't feel, you know, there's, I didn't feel 
I mean, we all feel that, you know, do I deserve this at times? But actually now I come to the conclusion I damn well did. I damn well did um, deserve my success because I put blood, sweat and tears into it. And I think, again, we we have a, a – there's a view around the place, which I'm seeing, that people think that they can do five years and sell their business for billions and, you know, way, we're done. As I say to people I'm looking to invest in, I want to know that you are eating out of the bins to make this done, that you are putting – you know, if you need somebody and you need to pay them until you are profitable, I don't want you taking a salary. Mm. I want you, I want to see that you've got skin in the game. I want to know that you believe in this so wholeheartedly. But then I do caveat it with, but don't do what I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was totally insane, where I literally put every single penny I had on black. And if the if it hadn't come in, we would be destitute now. I'd be doing seven jobs a day. So it is, you know, it's it's a balance. But I do, I'm a great believer. We underestimate how privileged we are in this country. You know, it's funny you say that because, again, another conversation I had very recently with a friend is if you think about entertainment. So um, now, one of the greatest television shows of all time, Dynasty, Dallas. But in the last, again, 20 years, when you think about all of the television shows that are aimed at quite young, impressionable people. If you think about a reality TV, it is all within the confines of incredible privilege and wealth. So I love Real Housewives. I find it the most incredible escapism. But it is funny because they are stupidly rich and so they are driven by egos and posturing. If you look at shows like Gossip Girl, they are impossibly rich. And I had the most wonderful experience a few months ago. I decided to watch The Golden Girls from start to finish. It's available on Disney+. Plus. I recommend it to absolutely everybody. Those women, those Golden Girls, were savvy with their cash. They had money concerns. And it was very real and accessible. And you just realize that if you are a young kid and you're in school and your television show that you're watching in the evening is about kids in a school who are all incredibly wealthy... And you're all you're seeing is wealth and privilege and stuff and designer gear and that. And then you think about TikTok. Of course, we're going to think that we haven't got got it very good because the yardstick yeah. by which we're measuring against is a completely made up fantasy reality that exists for less than 0.1% of the population. I totally agree. I mean, one of my children who shall remain nameless um, came to me and was showing me a picture of the um, Watsy Bieber's wife Justin, has, yes. got, has got a, a skincare brand and she said look at her skin This, and I said darling that is not that photograph is not of that girl having just used her own products that is she's probably had a hydrofacial she's probably got a team of seven there she's beautifully lit no 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 she says she uses her own products I said I'm sure she uses them on her feet and, you know, I said, Dunning, this is marketing. This is marketing. And you are, this, this is a classic case of showing an unattainable photograph of an individual. And, and it's telling you, you can look like that. I said, this has been done for time immemorial. Mm. You've got to look at that and just go, bullshit. Bullshit. I'd like to see you first thing in the morning. I bet you don't look like that. Hayley Bieber, that's what she's called. And, you know, it's, what we need to do, and actually that particular child is 
taken herself off social media entirely because she's just oh, wow. and it's just complete bollocks which it is and you know i i i must stick my hand up though i like the things about kittens and, and dogs and things like that <laughs> but you know that they have huge concerns about me because of that but it is you're totally right it's an unrealistic world for us to, to for them to be brought up in even sex education we watched a couple of episodes in that new um their new series i mean really is everybody jerking off like they are every five minutes no but what you're you're teaching them is this is perfectly right porn is another classic mm. that is teaching children that these that, 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 that they're offering them a totally perverse relationship scenario and saying that's what love is about and yet nobody talks to teenage children about the impact of porn or the impact of social media or the impact of watching TV shows about privileged New Yorkers. And we should be. It's kind of, you know, we do at home as a, as a parent, we talk about it constantly. Um, and I fear that there are many families that don't have that kind of relationship. And so you've got children going out into the world that have got unrealistic expectations. I saw a I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day, which I also think is another heinous site um, because it's just a postulating site now, isn't it? Oh, look at me. Aren't I brilliant? Um, oh, look at me. I'm going to stick up my hand for help. It, it, it just, you know, talk to your friends offline. Um, and there was a 27-year-old girl talking about how bad she felt about herself because she didn't have her own business. She didn't own her own flat. All these things that people were telling her she should have done by the age of 27 she hadn't yet achieved and my heart broke for her because what she's listening to is the bollocks that people are talking they big themselves up because I don't know whether some of them are living in a fantasy world of what they've seen on telly but it's simply not true and the reality is 27 as you and I know is a baby that is a baby and you could still be making as many mistakes as you want and challenging yourself. If you feel like that, go traveling for a year, go to Bhutan, go to <laughs> Bhutan and find happiness. Mm -hmm. And, and this is what breaks my heart. I don't want to see young, you know, young men and women feeling that they are underachieving because they're measuring themselves against the make-believe. Mm. It's not fair. And we have a duty of care as parents to keep them very well grounded and to be have those honest conversations and explain that it's all like camera action. And, you know, every single photograph you see of the Kardashians, which I, I use their name, I wouldn't be able to name one in a lineup. They're going to have all their outfits pegged in the background. You know, you and I go to a photo shoot and we're done. You know, my hair's got clips behind it. I've got clips on my clothes. You know, I'm sitting on 15 cushions to try and keep my back straight. You know, all of these things, it's not real. Mm. It's not real. And, when, and we need to we need to just get over it. We're mis-selling happiness, I think. We are. We're, we're mis-selling happiness. Have you been missold happiness? You could be entitled to a refund. Um, you could be entitled to compensation because we're we're selling the idea that happiness will appear and then it will be yours 
And yeah. in order to get to that level of happiness and attain it permanently, you have to keep going up the ladder, accumulating all of these things. And it's a, it, it's and not it where it's or, or, yeah. or humiliating yourself on television. Or, you know, I mean, I, I just don't get it. I don't watch reality telly at all. I like a good old murder mystery, me. <laughs> I like a good one. I like one where yeah. I can't. I love, I love, I love watching the super rich just be, be dicks. <laughs> I really find it. Like, it's really, for me, I love reality TV. I love The Real Housewives because for me, it's an education in how not to behave in social situations. I yeah. find it absolutely fascinating. And sometimes you warm to people, but in the main, what you're looking at is people that if you were seated at, next to their table in a restaurant, you'd be thinking, we want to be moved. You know, I, I so I appreciate it for that. But then you I'm see, older but, uh, and hopefully my, wiser. I, yeah, <laughs> I I sort of, I get, I get, I, I like a bit of intrigue. I like political intrigue. You know, I... I, I think I've, I've tipped over that edge. I don't, I want to see things that are fascinating. And yes. I want to understand about different cultures. I want to understand about challenges people are facing. You know, I cry at news reports. Um, and, you know, because to me, I, I was, as a child, I was terrified of any horror movie. So I never watched any grisly or hardcore movies at all. So I watched the news and I see something hard on it. I, I will, I, I will cry. Yeah. I will cry because I, I know it's real, and I haven't been softened by, you know, movies about hardcore and meanness, other mm. than obviously Agatha Christie. But those, I think, are elegant murders. Mm. Um, but it's, and I, this is again another worry for me because we're children are desensitized to pain and drama and. You know, I read somewhere that, that kids, when the Ukraine war started, British children were seeking counselling because it was so upsetting. And, you know, I would have said, if it's so upsetting, do something to raise support, you know, help these guys, you know, talk to your parents about getting somebody in, you know, to live with you for a bit. You know, what can you do? Can you raise money? Can you raise awareness? But it all came back to just, you know, oh, it's awful. It's an awful thing happening. No, an awful thing happening is when you're in Kiev and it's being bombed and you're giving birth in a multi-story car park. That's an awful thing happening. Watching it on the BBC is, is that's when it's up to us to choose how we respond. Mm -hmm. That's when we have to choose. We have to find out how human we are. We have to understand whether we're empathetic whether we, we understand whether we can actually reach out to others who are in a more desperate situation than we will ever be. Um, and to me, it's, it's that empathy goes hand in glove with happiness. What a, I mean, I didn't expect this conversation to go on the journey that it has, but I'm delighted that it did. And what a beautiful, beautiful uh, place to, to, to leave it on this particular episode of the show it's been really wonderful speaking to you thank you I am so delighted to have these kinds of conversations this is the kind of podcast that really makes me happy because it was completely free no censor no censoring just uh, just sharing opinions on the things that we find important and I hope that people have really enjoyed earwigging on us because it's been I've really enjoyed it I've learned a lot thank you 
Oh, I've, I've, I've been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'm now going to go and do a wall sit and see how I get on. <laughs> yeah, if you can do um, more than a minute and 15 seconds, I'm never speaking to you again. <laughs> Well, then I will lie. Even if I can, I will lie and say that I didn't do it. I also, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will know that uh, I, I never normally podcast this late and I had not anticipated that there would be no light and I have no lights on in the house. So this looks like I'm interviewing you from a bunker have it because I'm in the witness protection program, which I've been finding more and more amusing as the light has been going. Oh been my goodness. Telling... And I didn't I didn't realise I was being filmed. So all of my activities today, I have not showered. <laughs> I literally threw on a jersey. I don't even sniff my pits in case I pass out. <laughs> so um my apologies for looking a little bit rough and ready, but it's uh yeah, it's been it's been a, a day um très sportif. Yes, and my leg, can I say my legs are killing me? <laughs> oh, it's when you it's when you um walking downstairs, that's when you know, but also it's the lowering yourself onto the lavatory. That and that oh, that's yeah. when you know oh, yeah. if you've oh, yeah. done it. And then I know. Back oh, up oh, again. I know, and then it's just sort of and then someone thinks that you're doing something very strange when you're looking, oh, <laughs> too much information <laughs> all the aches and pains but well, i would recommend highly recommend an epsom salt bath because that that oh, does that's a really good idea that does the world that's of good, really good maybe, maybe a little bit of cold water therapy as well if you if you've got the nerve but just an epsom salt bath with a nice book a nice murder mystery to keep Ooh, you entertained yeah, definitely <laughs> Um, this has been a fantastic conversation I've really really loved it I will obviously put the link to you to everything that we've discussed uh, let's get the King of Bhutan on the show so thank you for joining me um, if you have any questions if you'd like to comment on the show then um, please do get in touch all the information will be in the show notes but for now thank you so much for having me uh, for being on the show Joanna it's been a blast oh thank you for having me Emma right back at ya Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.